Hello, Switched On crew. Dan here with today's signals on how to live extraordinary lives. With me is Terry Tucker, the author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. A great quote from Terry in the episode, I'm not afraid to die because I've lived. We are all going to die, but we are not all going to live. Come join us and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Switched On Podcast. Today we have Terry Tucker with us. He is an author, cancer survivor, and collegiate athlete and more. Welcome, Terry. Excited to have you on the show today. Let's dive in and have you start by giving us a bit more insight on your background. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, I was born and raised in Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. I am six foot eight. I have a brother who's six foot seven who pitched for the University of Notre Dame. I have a brother that's six foot six who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And my dad was six foot five. So if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayers chance you were going to see anything that was going on whatsoever. And, and we had a mom who always wanted us to sit in the very front row, the very front pew at church. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that didn't get a whole lot out of mass when, when we were growing up. But <laughs> athletics, specifically basketball, was an important part of my life. And I attended college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina on a basketball scholarship despite having three knee surgeries in high school. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college, and I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize what a knucklehead I was, and I didn't know anything about business back then. <laughs> Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. But unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my grandmother and my father, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In my professional career, I've been a marketing executive, as I said, at Wendy's. I've been a hospital administrator, a customer service manager, a police officer. I spent three and a half years as an undercover narcotics investigator. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator, a school security consultant, a high school basketball coach, most recently a motivational speaker and author, and then for the last nine years, a cancer warrior. My wife and I have been married for over 27 years, and our only child, a daughter, is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the newly created United States Space Force. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Wow, it's really uh, a cool background. You said something that cracked me up because when I graduated uh, my undergrad, I was a knucklehead as well. and I look back, uh, there was one particular statement I made that I often just, I'm horrified that I said these words, but I told my parents, I am so glad I'm done learning. I just want to <laughs> go make money. And you know, after engineering school, I was just beat up and tired. But I look back now and go, oh my God, I hadn't even started my learning journey. And uh, so, yeah, it's quite interesting to look back at that younger you and some of the things you thought and said. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure my dad thought, you know, just be quiet and, and go do your, you know, listen to what, just be a sponge, absorb whatever you can and, and learn as much as you possibly can. Yeah. One of the things that you had mentioned in the pre-show and in some of the things I had read about you was, you know, one, the thing that you've learned on this journey is 
during all your pain and suffering is that you had two choices. And I really wanted to hear you talk about that for a couple minutes. Sure. So I, I guess that I, I need to sort of set that up a little bit. The, the, the greatest challenge of my life really began in 2012, early in 2012, when, when I was diagnosed with this rare form of melanoma that presented on the bottom of my left foot. By the time the cancer was detected, it had metastasized to a lymph node in my groin. And because my cancer was so rare, it was recommended that I be treated at, at MD Anderson, which is probably the, the best cancer hospital that, that we have probably in the world, certainly in the United States. I want your audience to understand that what I'm going to describe to you is what I experienced during my cancer journey. I realize there are thousands and thousands of people out there who are suffering terribly with their diseases, whether they be mental or physical. And I make no claims to have the market cornered on suffering. But one thing I've learned is that suffering is one of life's greatest teachers. So at MD Anderson, I had two surgeries to remove the tumor and all the lymph nodes in my groin. And I had a skin graft to close the wound on the bottom of my foot. After I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. Interferon, at least for me, was a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. And I took those weekly interferon injections for four years and seven months before the medicine became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees, wow. which usually isn't compatible with, with being alive. But right. while I was in, on interferon, it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days after each injection. I lost 50 pounds during my therapy. I used to joke to my wife that I was pretty sure I was skinny enough that I could go hang gliding on a Dorito, you know, but I, I was, you know, I, I basically had the flu every week for five years and, and I counted it up one day and this misery went on for over 1,660 days. And the one thing I learned during all my pain and suffering is that you have two choices. You can succumb to the debilitating discomfort and misery or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and better human being. I chose the latter, but please understand that there were days that I felt so poorly and I was in so much agony that I literally prayed to die. I just wanted out of this life. Each day was, was just a struggle to use my mind to override the apathy and the distress that my body was feeling. Again, I was no better at dealing with pain and discomfort than the next person, but every day I found a way to survive with the knowledge that I need to do it again the following morning. Uh, unfortunately, my cancer experience hasn't ended with me conquering my disease. The melanoma that had plagued me since 2012 returned in 2017, and eventually my only treatment option was the amputation of my left foot, which occurred in January of 2018. Cancer returned again in 2019, requiring two additional surgeries, uh, and then early last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough to fracture my tibia, my shin bone, and that led to the amputation of my leg above the knee during the middle of a global pandemic. Further testing has revealed that I have multiple tumors in my lungs, and I've been undergoing a clinical trial to try to deal with that, but my oncologist is not optimistic about my long-term survivability. But I just refuse to be a victim to this malignancy. You know, I vowed to continue my fight. I knew the only way that cancer could win is if I gave up or I gave into the disease or it killed me. 
I understand what it's like to fight for your life. And the one thing I've learned is that as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Motivation alone, you know, is not going to get you to where you want to be. You have to continue to fight and realize that you have to struggle every minute of every single day. And that's pretty much what I've done to get me to this point. And it's been almost nine years since I was diagnosed. Man, that is quite a story. It is, um, you know, a lot, a lot of us, you, know, you take this life for granted in some ways. And, you know, I was just writing some notes, but, you know, fighting for your life is, is really um, a very deep and interesting thought because, you know, I've gone on my own journey that was not propelled by um, a, a deep fight like you've had, but I really have started to frame it as, you know, fighting for this um, healthy living, you know, and really trying to be as healthy as possible in this life so that I can maximize the experience of, of what we're given. So really, uh, really amazing and inspirational. And it's, uh, it sounds like you, you have the fight left in you and a fight still to go. So it's uh, pretty amazing. When you, um, when you look at the inspiration for the book that you've come out with, um, maybe you can share with us, uh, obviously, I think uh, the inspiration has to be rooted in, in this path, but what, what is the inspiration behind it? And then maybe share a little bit about the, the 10 principles that are in the book. Sure. So the, the book is called Sustainable Excellence, the 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And the book was really born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a, a former basketball player that I had coached, who she and her boyfriend had moved to Colorado, where my wife and I live. And we'd had dinner with them a couple of times. And I remember saying to her, hey, I'm really excited that you're here because I get to watch you find and live your purpose. And she kind of got quiet and, and then came back to me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? And I said, I, I don't know what your purpose is. That's what your life should be about, finding that purpose. And then once you find it, living it. So I, I kind of turned a light bulb on, I guess, in, in her mind. So that, so that was one conversation. And then I had a basketball player down at the Citadel connect with me on LinkedIn. And he wanted to know what I thought were the most important things he should learn to be successful, not only in his career, but in life as well. And I, I thought about my response for a while. I, I didn't want to give him the standard, you know, work hard, help others, show up early, et cetera. I, I wanted to give him something. I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to be deeper than that. So eventually I started writing down thoughts and ideas. And, and I came up with these 10 principles that either I had experienced in my life or I knew other people who had experienced them in their life. And I, and I was able to use those experiences as examples to kind of put stories underneath the principles and how they would be effective and successful. And so I'll share, I'll share a couple of them with you just to, I mean, some of my favorites that, that I really, that I really like, or that I really enjoy the, the first one. And I think this is so important. And the reason I like it so much is because I violated it a million times growing up. I mean, I think we probably all have. And it's this. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities, 
instead of using their minds. And I've had people ask me, you know, hey, I, I'd really kind of like to do this, or I'd like to move in this direction in my job or, or in my personal life, but it scares me. And I always tell people when they say that, if you feel compelled to move in a direction, if whatever your mind is telling you to do something and it scares you, I tell you to go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, you're not going to be disappointed by the things that you did. You're going to be disappointed by the things that you wanted to do and that for whatever reason, fear, whatever motivated you not to do those. So I always tell people to do that. And I I, I, I use those principles. I'm like, I'm scared of this. I'm not going to do it. And, and I get mad at myself now, you know, as, as I'm older, I think, man, I should have done that. Yeah. So that's that's one of the principles that I really like. The other one um, that I'll share with you is that you were born to lead an uncommon and extraordinary life. And that has absolutely nothing to do with how much money you make, what kind of job you have, what kind of car you drive, where you live, et cetera. We are not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. And then the last one, and and again, these are not in any particular order, but the one I think that this is probably the most important, and I, I don't know why I put it last, but it's that I was a big fan of John Wooden, who was the basketball coach of UCLA when I was growing up. And and Coach Wooden, I mean, his teams were amazing. They they won seven national championships in basketball in a row, which I mean, you're lucky today if you can win two in a row. And one of the things that Coach Wooden was, in addition to being a great tactician. He was a great thinker. And and he wanted his players not only to be good basketball players, but to be good human beings. And I remember listening to an interview with him one day and he, and somebody asked him, they were talking X's and O's, they were talking basketball. And somebody asked him, like, so what do you think is the most important concept, the most important thing that you can impart to your players? And I'm sitting on the end of my seat as a little kid, like, okay, here, you know, here, here it comes. And it's going to be something great, you know, that I can use on the court. And, and he said one word, and that word was love, L-O-V-E. You know, if we can put more love back into this world, if we can love each other, think about how amazing our lives can be. You know, instead of being jealous, I wish I was as good as him. Or the, At the end of your life, you're not going to be judged on what somebody else did. You're going to be judged on what you did, on the gifts and the talents that you were given and what did you do with those gifts and talents to make this world a better place? So those are those are just three of the chapters that are in there. The rest of them, you know, you, you can get the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't write the book to make money. I, I wrote the book to help people. And and I think one of the greatest things since I've it's been out, and it's only been out for three months, is I had an 87-year-old man contact me and say that he read the book and he wished he had had these principles when he was younger because he thought his life would have been a whole lot better. And when he said that, I'm like, okay, that made me feel really good about writing the book. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, it, if you can influence one person or millions, it's all, it's all worth it, right? It, it's uh, helping humanity and helping the greater good. The, you know, so many things to unpack in what you said, but John Wooden is somebody I grew up with as well. And I have, used many of his principles in building teams at work and some of the wisdom that is available in YouTubes and other places that 
he talks about his philosophies has has been uh, a huge guiding post for me. So uh, it was amazing to hear you reference him because he's somebody I have looked to uh, for a long time. Absolutely. Amazing human and coach. And the other piece there is love. And, you know, it it's such an interesting word because at some levels it it's misunderstood because it connotes one thing, but it's such a vital tool for all of us. And for me, when I started to really take on my personal health journey, I actually had to start at a really strange place, which was realizing that I didn't actually love myself enough that I cared enough about what I was really doing. And so I had to start at this square one of saying, okay, I, I got to love me. I got to love myself before I'm going to have the energy and the ability to love others. And it was uh, quite um, both a stripping down, but also on the flip side, it's been amazing uh, once you, you know, once you get comfortable in that whole mindset. So it, it is. And, and, you know, and I don't think love is a word that you hear a lot these days. You know, we seem to always be tearing each other down as a way of trying to lift ourselves up. So, so love, I don't think it, it doesn't easily come off the lips of too many people in our culture today. And, and that's why I'm, I'm really committed. It's, it's really something I feel in my heart that or maybe even more my soul that, that I need to, to put as much love, as much positivity, as much goodness back into this world with whatever time I have left. So if I can do that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm way past the, you know, I got to be better than this or, or the competition, all that. It, it's, I don't. How can I help you as a person, whoever you are, a young person, a middle-aged person, an old person? If I can do that, then it, it just makes me feel a whole lot better about myself. No, yeah, boy, 100% agree. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I, I learned a lot of these things, you know, late in life. And, you know, obviously, I know my soul was meant to go through what it, what it went through. But Sure. Boy, I wish I would have had some of this bigger level insight uh, uh, many years ago. <laughs> so. You know, and I thought about that, but I also thought, you know, you wouldn't be the person you are. I wouldn't be the person I am without the struggle to get to where we are now. And and now we understand that stuff. You know, if if we just knew it as kids or, or, or young people, it would be like, man, it doesn't have the meaning. It was the struggle that we went through to get to that knowledge that, that really made us the people we are. Yeah, 100%. You're right on. It's uh, it's exciting to to listen to you, and um, I know you're going to impact a lot of people because I can hear the genuine compassion and love that you have uh, for everybody. So that's exciting to uh, meet somebody like that and to have your voice just keep getting pushed out because it's a message that's got to be heard. Um, <clears throat> another question I ask uh, guests that come on the show is if you were to say, what's the one thing, if, if in this half an hour, people can take away at least one thing from your mindset, your thought process that they could apply into their lives, what would that be? I think the best way for me to answer that question is, is to tell you a story about a post note that, I'm sit, that sits on my desk. And, and I see it every day that I sit at my desk. I see it multiple times. And it, it has kind of become my truth. Uh, 
and it has it has three sentences on it. And, and the first one is control your mind or it will control you. You know, our minds know our fears. They know our vulnerabilities. They know our insecurities. And, and we all know this to the brain. You know, we avoid pain and we seek pleasure. So if you try to do something that's uncomfortable, that, that's out of the norm, your brain's going to be like, ah, you know, hey, I want to go skydiving. Your brain's going to be like, absolutely not. You know, you could die. The parachute could, I mean, it'll give you a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. Right. So you need to control your mind. It's the same way with me with cancer. You know, I had to control my mind and realize that all this stuff, you know, you're going to you're going to lose your foot. Now you're going to lose your leg in the middle of a pandemic, being the only surgery in the hospital that day with nobody with you. Your wife can't be there. Your family can't be there. You got to make this happen yourself. So you got to control your mind or, or you're going to lose your mind in all honesty. So that's the first one. The second one is embrace your pain and suffering and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. And, and, and this is real important. And this really kind of resonates with me. Because when I was a kid, I hated, and, and that's a strong word. And if I could put that in capital letters, highlight it, underline it, italicize it, that would be how I felt about going to the doctor. I used to wait till, if I knew I was going to the pediatrician to get a vaccine, I'd wait till my mom got out of the car and then I'd lock all the doors from the inside because there was no key fobs back then, you know? So she'd have to go in and get the pediatrician and it would be a cat and mouse game to get me out of the car. That's how much I hated doctors and and the and, and getting a shot and stuff like that. Now I take that pain. I take that suffering. I take, you know, the all the vomiting and the diarrhea and the and losing limbs and I turn it inside and I use it as fuel or energy or whatever you want to say to make me stronger, to make me tougher. So you know when you tell me oh you're going to have this thing, I'm like, okay, you know, when I was young, I'd be like, oh my God, no, this is horrible. I can't deal with this. Now it's like bring it on. It will make me a stronger human being. So that's the second one. And then finally, the third one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And, and, and I can't tell you how many times I had a, I'm on a clinical trial drug now that I take for a week. I go to the hospital and, and I take it for a week and it it beats the heck out of me. I, I shake, I throw up, I do all kinds of things. And, and I had a nurse come in and she said, she said, Terry, this drug is horrible for you. I mean, it's really wrecking your body. Nobody would think anything less of you if you stopped this drug, if you got off this drug. And I looked at her and I said, her name is Sarah. I said, Sarah, you, you don't know me. You don't know what's in my heart. You don't know my truths. I said, I may be taken off the drug by my doctor or I may die on the drug, but I will never quit the drug. I said, I realize this is horrible. I said, but you, what you don't realize is all this crap, all this pain and suffering, that's fuel. That's energy for me to get stronger. And she didn't understand it. She's, she's young and stuff like that. But I, I just told her, I said, I appreciate where you're coming from and I understand it, but I, I'll never quit this. I'll, I'll never give up. I mean, I'll certainly probably die of this disease, but I will die going down fighting. And I, I just won't roll over and say, well, that's the way it is. So I think those three things, I know you asked for one, but I, I kind of put three into one. Uh, those are kind of the things that I would say, if anybody could take something away from what we're talking about today, it would be those three things. Well, that is, uh, you know, your framing of suffering and 
your, you know, your, the way you've managed to turn it into a positive is empowering for all of us. And it's something that uh, I know I've put a lot of work into over the last many years to get myself to, to think that way. Um, but it really is uh, quite another thing to actually live that way minute by minute and event by event. And so it's inspiring to, to hear the message and to hear your conviction and the, and the way you're living into it uh, and leaning in. It's really, really fantastic. Well, I, I think for all of us, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. It's really kind of how you look at it. And, and you, you just said something there about, you know, every minute or, or, or every event, you know, there's, there's an old, I can't remember who came up with it, but, you know, it's, it's about winning the day. Well, for me, in a lot of cases, it was about winning the minute yeah. or it was about winning, you know, the, the event. I, I recall the, the, the book and the movie Lone Survivor, uh, you know, about the, the four Navy SEALs that um, went into Afghanistan. Three of them were killed. Uh, but um, Marcus Luttrell, the one who survived, I remember listening to him give a talk and he said, my back was broken and I'm crawling on the ground. And he said, I took a stick and I reached out as far as I could and I drew a line. And I said, if I can get to that line and I'm still alive, then I'm going to draw, draw another line. And he did that for miles. I, I, I want to say seven miles. I don't know if it was that long. It, it might have been five miles or two, regardless of how, how long. That's how he survived. I'm going to draw a line. I'm going to get to that line. If I'm still alive, I'm going to draw another line. So that's how he survived his pain and his agony. So again, you know, we're all going to go through pain, but whether we suffer, it's all how we look at it. Yeah. And listening to you, I, I had read a book years ago. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was um, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. I've read, read it. Yes. Yeah. That book um, had a tremendous impact uh, for me in the way he framed his experience of being in prison and, and the way he just took himself out of that and put himself uh, into another mindset. And uh, as I listen to you and think through it, it really reminds me of that, that book and what uh, Victor Frankl had you know, written about in that book. Absolutely. Really neat. My next question is the cauliflower moment question. And it's the one I always look forward to because it's, a fun one for me. And the, the simple tagline on this is, I really am trying to get people to realize that your beliefs matter. And how you form those beliefs and then how you stick to them is a process that a lot of us just flat out don't understand and we never stop and question them. And so I've had my moments of big and small ones of where I've questioned a belief and I wound up, oh my gosh, I was completely off base on this belief. Why did I believe that? And I'm having some bad outcomes. So I like to ask, you know, what's a cauliflower moment for you where you stopped and questioned a belief you held and realized that there's there's another way to attack it? Sure. I, I again, I, I think the best way for me to to answer that question is with is with a story. So when I was young, or even today, but when I was young, I loved westerns, and my mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch, you know. I'm really going to date myself now, but, you know, Gunsmoke and uh, Maverick. And my favorite was Wild Wild West. And in 1993, the movie Tombstone came out and it starred Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp and Val Kilmer as John Doc Holliday. 
And Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings that actually walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters just for the movie. And Wyatt was a, a lawman by trade. And he became good friends with, with Doc Holliday. And they called him Doc because Doc was a dentist by trade. But he was pretty much a card shark and, and a gunslinger. But the, somehow the two men formed this, this tremendous bond, this tremendous friendship. Well, at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying in a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. And, and the real Doc Holliday actually died in that sanitarium. And he's buried in the, in the Glenwood Springs uh, Cemetery. And at this point in his life, Wyatt is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So he comes every day to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this scene, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, I was in love with my cousin when I was younger and she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life. And get on with living yours. You know, I was kind of in that, I just want to lead a normal life. But I didn't know what a normal life was. Would I like to not have cancer? Oh my God, you have no idea how much I would love, not just for me, but for what I've put my family through as well, to not have that. But I do have cancer. I mean, just like those guys used to play cards all the time, these are the cards that I have been dealt, and I have to play those cards. Uh, now, I could choose not to play them. I could choose just to roll over and whatever happens, happens. But that's not my makeup. I, I think you and your listeners would, would agree with that just from the short time we've been talking. So here are the cards I've been dealt. I've got to play those. I've got to play those to the best of my ability. And if I can do that, then for me, whatever happens, I, I live, I die. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I have made my funeral arrangements. Everything is done there. I am not afraid to die because I've lived. We are all going to die but we are not all going to live. And I know I have lived, I have found, and I've lived that purpose that I've talked about. So whatever happens on the other side of this life, for me, and I'll probably have every psychologist in, in the state of Colorado come on my door, I am not afraid to die. I'm almost excited to see what's on the other side for us. Yeah. Because I believe there is. I believe there's something more than this you know, if, if you've ever seen a baby being born, I, you know, I live in Colorado. It's one of the most beautiful states I've ever seen. You can't tell me there isn't something bigger than, than just us. And, and whatever that is, kind of looking forward to seeing what's on the other side of that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The When you just look at the intricacy of the design of this thing we call earth and all of us on it. And then you look at the vastness of the universe. Um, we are clearly a part of something that's much bigger and much more amazing than we, than we all can even grasp. Uh, and I had this really interesting awakening moment a few years ago. I, I paint as one of my hobbies and I was painting this uh, system. It's called Trappist One. And they discovered this system. It's you know, if you travel at the speed of light, it's 85 million light years away from here. And, you know, if you can even get your head around how far that must be. And they found a system that's got the exact same amount of 
you know, it's got an earth, it's got a sun, it's got the same planet structure. It's identical to our, the thing we're a part of. And you, and you go, how's that even possible? You know I mean? It's 85 million light years away. It's, it's, it's insane. Um, so yeah, totally agree that uh, we're a part of something bigger and there's um, amazing things for all of us. And it's a, it's a really uh, good cauliflower moment about the no normal because it, it's each one of us has our own school that we're a part of and our own journeys and our own experiences. And that's, that's what makes this so amazing. Right. Yeah. I mean, if we were all the same, think how boring this life would be. I mean, being different makes makes life interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I really enjoyed this uh, time to get to know you a little bit. And how can people connect with you or get your book or what's the best way to do all that? The, the best way for that is I, in 2019, I started a blog called Motivational Check. So if you go to motivationalcheck.com, you can get access to the book on, on Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble. You can get onto my social media sites. You can leave me a note. If you want to send me an email, motivationalcheck at aol.com. But like I said, motivationalcheck.com will pretty much get you everything Terry Tucker that you want or even yet you don't want. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, fantastic. We'll have that in the show notes as well, so people can pull it off of there. Well, listen, Terry, pleasure meeting you today. I love what you're out doing and uh, just looking to help one or millions, um, whatever you can do to make this uh, a better place. So, yeah, I appreciate you. it, Dan. Thank you for allowing me to be a guest on your show. I really enjoyed it.